You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to look at the last couple of games for the Jets. We're going to talk defense, and we're going to take a look at some interesting stats and potential rule changes. Stay tuned. So for segment number one, we're going to look at the last couple of games for the Winnipeg Jets. I was starting to think, Kyle, that the better the team that the Jets played, the better that they would play. Uh, beat the Predators 5-3, to beat the Blue Jackets 5-2. to That theory kind of went out of the window with last night's game against the Lightning, but it seems like the Jets are starting to improve. I don't know if it's the new guys in the lineup, whether they're finally starting to get motivated, guys starting to play harder with the playoffs starting to become in sight. What are your thoughts on the last few? Well, I think it might be a little bit of everything, like like you just said. Um yeah, I don't know what it is about playing bad competition. I, I mean, I think back to losing a couple of games against the Senators uh, and that sort of thing. Obviously, Senators being the worst team in the league, you never want to play or you never want to stoop down to the opposing team's level, which I think the Jets have done in the past, um, specifically more this year than other years. Um, but talking about the game against Tampa, um, the Jets just were, they were in it, I, I would say, in the first period. Um but they were getting outplayed, I would say, from the very start of the game, and it kind of caught up to them as the game wore along. Yeah, I think they were only in it based on score, not necessarily based on the way the game was going offensively, because they were getting outchanced, and really, I thought they were kind of lucky to score that goal on the power play and to make it tied at one, because it could have been out of hand in that first. Oh, definitely, and Hellebach made some really good saves. Uh, Tampa Bay does a great job of getting shots from right in the slot. Uh, I, I noticed them, some of their goals are, are multiple goals coming from right in front of Hellebach. Uh, some of their best chances they didn't score on also coming from right in front of Hellebach. If you looked at the shot maps and the shot charts, um, Tampa Bay really good at getting to the to the dangerous areas of the ice, and, and that's why they're leading the league in so many offensive categories because they can get there um, so quickly, and then they just snap it home with ease. It's really fun to watch a team like that, um, especially a team we don't get to see very often uh, in Tampa Bay, only seeing them twice a year. They are incredibly fast, and they seem to be swarming. Like, the Jets couldn't get anything going. They'd get into the offensive zone, and there would be lightning players all over them, and they just used their speed and creativity in the offensive zone to create chances. It's not that the Jets were giving them necessarily tons of opportunities. They were just taking it and creating space uh, with their ability. I was really impressed with what I saw. I think it was the first full lightning game I've seen this year. Uh, but I think the Winnipeg Jets kind of can now see that as this is what we want to aspire to. Yeah, I would agree with that. One thing to always keep in mind here, the Jets are missing some key pieces out of their lineup, uh, specifically Bufflin and Morrissey on the back end. Both those guys excel at getting the puck out of the end, transitioning the puck up the ice, right? Dustin Bufflin, phenomenal at getting the puck out. Josh Morrissey as well, really good outlet pass, um, that sort of thing. They can break out of those swarms, as you call it, um, better than the other Jets defensemen. So when you have both those guys out of your lineup being your two probably best passing defensemen, it's really tough on the rest of the team to kind of take that over. And I think we saw that in this game, uh, not even talking about um, Adam Lowry, who was out of the game as well, serving a second game of his suspension, uh, having a defensive anchor would also really help because, like we said, Tampa Bay is getting to those dangerous areas. Lowry excelling at not allowing the opposition to get to those areas. So just something to keep in mind is that Winnipeg obviously playing a little bit shorthanded um, without those guys in the lineup. What did you think of Parr Lindholm? We've seen him now for two games. Uh, I saw him. I didn't get a chance to watch much of the Blue Jackets game, but I saw him yesterday against the Lightning. He looked very meh. 
Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's exactly how he, <laughs> how he should be described. He hasn't really done anything uh, of note yet, and maybe that's um, what he's supposed to be doing as being the fourth-line center. He's just kind of there. And, and like I said, maybe it's not a bad thing if he's just only there. Um, that means he's not getting hemmed in. It means he's not allowing a bunch of chances against just being mediocre in a fourth-line role. That's totally fine. Uh, in my opinion, because the top three lines are so good, you can afford to have the fourth line center just being average. And I think Beaulieu has kind of been average for me. Uh, Kulikov, below average. Uh, Myers, okay. Again, Myers can create offense, but he also gives up chances as a result. And so the, the Jets really do need those defensemen back as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree, but maybe this could be our next segment, is what do you do with Sammy Niku when everybody else gets healthy? All right, so I'm pretty good with, as far as these last couple of games are concerned, is there anything else you wanted to add? No, that's about it to cover the last few games. So for segment number two, taking a look at the defense for the Winnipeg Jets, and that's kind of what we were talking about in the last segment, how uh, some guys are really stepping up, others not so much. But the Winnipeg Jets right now missing Bufflin and Morrissey. And as looking at Morrissey's timeline, looks like he's not going to be back until early April. And the Winnipeg Jets won't have uh, too many more games after that. The final regular season game for the Jets is April the 6th. So, basically, right as the season is ending, uh, we'll finally get Morrissey back. Well, and keep in mind, generally when Paul Maurice is announcing uh, the injuries, um, the timeline usually extends later than what he says. Uh, If you remember, initially when Ehlers and Bufflin got hurt, the Ehlers were going to be evaluated after the All-Star break. Well, it wasn't until several weeks after the All-Star break that he actually came back. And and Bufflin was a similar story that, oh, well, he could be looking to return around whatever time, and then it was a couple weeks after that. So if if Josh Morrissey is the same way, you're looking at beginning of April plus a couple weeks to actually get him back in the lineup. That's potentially after the first round of the playoffs is over. Now, when are we? have you heard anything for Dustin Bufflin? I haven't really been able to see much. Well, well, he's on the road trip. He's skating. Um, I believe he's going to be getting in a practice in the next day or two. He should hopefully be good to go, I would say, by the weekend in my mind. Well, and he's one of those players that I don't want to rush back because of uh, just what we've seen on defense this year. The Jets can survive against a lot of teams with the current defense, even though they didn't play that great necessarily against the Lightning and they could really use him back. But they're not going to be playing the Lightning every game. Give Niku more time. Give Beaulieu a little bit more time. I don't think they need to necessarily push Dustin Bufflin back if he's going to be just missing more time. No, I would agree. Um, And I think... Also, they've been really cautious with some of those guys. Uh, originally, from the first injury Bufflin was coming back from, uh, they actually held him out one game longer than than he wanted to. He was able to play uh, Ehlers. They were going to be doing that exact same thing, but then Ehlers actually made a, a surprise um, comeback. I think in that Vegas game a couple weeks ago, um, he was originally supposed to sit out longer, and they actually brought him back a little bit early. So the Jets are a little bit conservative in that th- in that regard, is that they like to hold on, make sure the guys are 100% ready, because... Don't forget, the Jets are still at the top of the division. Um, the Blues have cooled off as of late, aren't really as a, much of a threat anymore, have a few games up on uh, of, of Nashville as well. It, it's not a dire situation that you need to have everybody in the lineup because you're fighting for your playoff life. It, you're still cruising along comfortably, probably going to be staying near the top of the division no matter who's in the lineup. 
Okay, so now once Bufflin does come back and once Morrissey comes back, uh, both obviously— and don't forget do- Joe Morrow as well. Right, okay, so let's say all three of those guys are healthy again. The playoffs are about to start. What do you do? You haven't seen a lot of time with Morrissey back in the regular season. Let's just assume he's done for the regular season. You haven't seen him play in a while. Bufflin's coming back. He's played a few games before the end of the season. Morrow's back. He's ready to go. What do you do if you're the Jets for defense? Well, this is tough because you're going to have an all, all of a sudden you're going to have an awful lot of defensemen. It, it, it just has to be because what happens? And because you brought in Bolu, you brought in uh, Kiselevich at the deadline. You also have Sammy Niku up on the roster. So what do you do? If three guys are returning, which three guys are leaving? Well, we know Truba's not leaving, and I'm pretty confident to say Myers isn't leaving. And so then you add Bufflin and you add Morrissey, which are pretty much automatics for me. So those are your top four defensemen, and I don't think anybody's really going to argue that. Are you going to... So so obviously the top pairing goes back to Morrissey and Truba, right? I think that's a given. Yeah, given. Done. So your your next pairing is Bufflin with who? Exactly. And I like Myers on that third pair. I think it's a great third pair. And I'm not super sold on him with elevated minutes, but if you have Myers on your third pair, then that's a good way to a good place to keep him. And so then, I personally like Niku in the lineup, and I and I don't mind Ben Sherratt. I'm not as high on Ben Sherratt as maybe some people are, but if once Bufflin comes back, I'd be tempted to put Bufflin with Beaulieu or back with Sherratt, and then keep Niku with Myers on the third pairing. I'm I'm of the mindset that you I would rather keep Niku in than Kulikov. Yeah, see that's really interesting because Kulikov he he's been so polarizing this year. Um, he's shown flashes of being a really good defenseman uh, earlier on in the season after he was kind of uh, totally healthy around the November December range. He actually played really well with Tyler Myers. That has kind of gone by the wayside in the last couple weeks, maybe the last couple months. He just hasn't quite been good again maybe it's a nagging injury coming back whatever the case may be and it could be the elevated minutes what's that it could be the elevated minutes and the extra time yeah it's very possible because when everybody's healthy those guys are not getting that many minutes much easier to play in that type of role I totally agree with that Um, because right now what we're seeing is Sherratt and Niku kind of as the third pairing those guys aren't getting as many minutes. I mean, Sherratt's getting his minutes still, but Sammy Niku isn't as much, uh, obviously based on penalty killing, that sort of thing. In my opinion, and I totally agree with you, Sammy Niku needs to stay with the Winnipeg Jets. I don't think there's any way he should be going back to the Moose this season. Just his skating blows my mind. He's so smooth on the ice. He doesn't seem to be a defensive liability. He can recover. He can jump in on the rush. He can create offense of like the way he has that dynamic element. He's jumped in on the play a couple of times. So I would want to keep him in the lineup. And so like I said, with Morrissey Truba, your top pairing's done. Bufflin automatically on your second. Myers on your third. And so then really you just need to fill in the two defensemen on the left side. So then you have a combination of Kulikov, Sherratt, Niku, Morrow, and I'm not even going to look at Kislevich, and then I'm even going to put Beaulieu on this uh, spot as well. So you've got Beaulieu, Kulikov, Sherat, Niku, Morrow. Five left-handed defensemen to fill two spots, because I think the other four are locked in. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and that that becomes now an issue for the Jets going forward, especially in playoff time. Well, what do you do um, with all those players? Who goes where? What happens? Unfortunately, it seems that Sammy Niku might be going back down to the Moose because that's the easy way out. Just because he can be sent down without getting claimed. 
Right, exactly. Unless you're thinking, well, Kislevich has served his, his purpose in the sense that now if Morrissey's coming back, you don't need him anymore, well, he can just go anywhere, right? It, it doesn't matter. Send him down, he gets claimed. Who cares at that point? But if you're looking to keep those guys, then Niku is kind of the choice to go down. But he needs to stay, in my opinion. As of right now, with the, with the current Jets defensemen that are in the lineup, I would say Niku is arguably your second best defenseman right now in the lineup. Yeah, I would say so. It'd be Truba then Niku. And depending on the game, looking a couple of games ago, I know we talked about the previous games, but that Truba giveaway uh, a couple of games ago, absolutely atrocious um, against the Blue Jackets, I believe it was. Just a, a terrible giveaway. Throws it right in front of his own net. Uh, the puck ends up in the back of the net moments later. Um, you could argue Niku is the best defenseman that the Winnipeg Jets have currently. And I don't think that's outrageous to say. No, I don't think, I think there's a lot of people who'd probably be on the same page with you. And maybe we're underselling uh, Jacob Truba or even Tyler Myers and some of these other players, but just the way his skating looks and just having him out on the ice, uh, take a look at dailyfaceoff.com. And so what they do is they have uh, a player rating from Corsica Hockey, and they basically give each player a rating. And I know you're familiar with this, Kyle. Uh, any idea what number uh, Niku's got right now? You want to take a guess? Just. Just individually among all defensemen? Uh, just individually among all defensemen. Or maybe it goes right sh- right side, left side. He's playing right side. I'm going to say he's about 60th. Very close. That's impressive. Uh, 56th, uh, according. Okay. So not too bad. Uh, basically, so then if there's 31 teams and everybody's got... Uh, three right side defensemen, uh, that would put him as a second, low end, second pairing right side defenseman. Based on. Yeah, uh, that, that's about right. And so now, based on uh, these Corsica player ratings, uh, Truba's number one at 22nd. So he's a first pairing right side defenseman. Tyler Myers, 34th. So technically, uh, he would be a second, a really high-end second-pairing defenseman. And then Sammy Niku, third among active defensemen with a 56. And again, this is not looking at Bufflin, Morrow, or Morrissey. Uh, Kulikov is 125 on the left side. Not great. Uh, ben Sherrod's 85. And Nathan Beaulieu at 83. So just kind of giving a perspective. It's not just our perspective on these numbers. Uh, these are from Corsica Hockey. And a lot of people uh, look to these numbers and like to kind of just see uh, where players are evaluated at. Yeah, I totally agree. So, I, I mean, I think that tells the story of the Winnipeg Jets, right? Like a, a decently strong right side, especially when Bufflin's in the lineup. And, and the left side's in shambles. Uh, Morrissey being the only guy that can kind of pull his weight in that regard, Sharap being almost like a third-pairing defenseman or one of the worst third-pairing defensemen by your ratings there. Um, but I think that just shows even further that Niku needs to stay with the Winnipeg Jets. I think he's played enough games now. Uh, I'm hoping he's earned the trust of Paul Maurice. In my opinion, he should be with the team, maybe not in the lineup every game, but I think he needs to be with the team for the rest of the season. He should not go back to the Moose at all. Um, he needs to stay with the Jets and hopefully even stay in the lineup for the rest of the season. Do you want to hear some more uh, stats as far as the forwards go? Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. So the first line for the Winnipeg Jets rated the second line in the NHL. Line eight, number second four. Second best forward line. Second best forward line in the NHL. 
Shifley, the fifth best center. Blake Wheeler, the fifth best right wing. Line A, the 14th best left wing. So they are the number two line in the NHL, according to Corsica Hockey and their rating system, player rating system that takes into effect a lot of different characteristics to kind of just give us one uh, number rating, and then you can rate that against other players. Uh, so now I'll just go through all the lines here. Uh, the Jets' second line of Hayes, Connor, and Ehlers, the number ninth uh, forward line, number two. Uh, so still in the top ten, that's pretty good. Uh, the third, the, 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 the ninth best second line. If I'm reading that correct, yes. Yes. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets' third line is 15th overall for third lines. That's uh, Kopp, Little, and Tenev. And then the Jets. Interesting, because that's without Adam Lowry there, right? That's without so, Adam Lowry. Because we're seeing that, that's, we're seeing that. I think that's a one-game sample size, essentially. So it's really interesting to see. I don't know how that affects uh, this rating system with those small sample sizes. Because with Hayes as well, he got about what three games on that, four games. Yeah, um, not a lot of sample so, size. So that's got to be a little bit of a grain of salt and I, th- I think that fourth line would be as well about four or five games and then Not even if it's yeah up. yeah the fourth line of Lindholm Perot and Rozovic is number 21 out of fourth lines yeah I think they've played what two games together so far with with Adam Lowry out of the lineup so yeah again small sample size with a bit of grain of salt but just interesting to see where where the Jets stack up obviously a little bit top heavy and we all know that um, but that third line which you add Lowry in there Obviously, one of the better lines as well. Um, I think Little's made actually a really good transition to the wing. Um, we're maybe going to talk about Brian Little next week, um, how he kind of always gets relegated to that third-line role at the trade deadline. If that's going to be a recurring move every year now uh, for the foreseeable future, but maybe that's a conversation for another day. And if you are wondering who has the first line, it's actually the Boston Bruins with the first forward line. Uh, Patrice Bergeron in the middle, the number fourth center. Brad Marchand, the number one left wing right now in the game. And then right now, this is with Danton Heinen on the right wing. But when you get Pasternak back on that line, it's clearly the top line uh, in the NHL right now, just the way those three guys are playing. And obviously, a lot of different things go into that rating. So for the final segment today, we've got some interesting stats. And one, we'll, we'll start with yours first, Kyle. Yeah, so against the Tampa Bay Lightning, if you were watching that game the other day, um, Connor Hellebuck takes a shot right in the face. That looks bad. Off- it looked really bad. His Nikita Kucherov absolutely unloading from the faceoff dot on the power play. Hits Hellebuck square in the mask. He goes down instantly. His mask comes off. There, there's some blood going on. Essentially what happened, it looks like the mask got hit so hard into his own face uh, that it actually caused a cut above his eye. And he had to leave the game go for some repairs, get stitched up. Uh, but that means Bersois had to come in kind of on an emergency basis. Um, how about that? Coming in sh- while shorthanded uh, against the number one power play with Kucherov and Stamkos um, ready to wire it, and you're totally cold, and, and there you go in the game. Well, um, you almost- as you can imagine... What's that? I was going to say, you never see that. As he came into the game last night, I was thinking, I was like, does a player ever come in shorthanded? And the answer was, I couldn't think of a single situation, because usually it's just when you get scored on, the new goaltender takes over, or maybe it's at the beginning of a period, but rarely ever do you see a new goaltender come in when your team is shorthanded and the faceoff's right in that zone. Just an observation, because generally a goaltender pull comes after a goal, and so the faceoff's at center ice. Generally, it also comes uh, at the beginning of a period, so... Kind of a unique situation. Carry on. Yeah, the only time would be a, when a goalie gets hurt like we saw. Um, regardless, Brassois has to come in in this situation. He has no option. Um, 
quite predictably, um, the Tampa Bay Lightning score on their very next shot. Stamkos absolutely wires one from the dot. Um, had Hellebuyck been in the net, probably would have gone in anyways. It was an unbelievable shot by Stamkos. Uh, but regardless, Broussard comes in, faces one shot, um, gets scored on. I don't think he faced another shot for the rest of the game. Uh, and on the next whistle, Hellebuyck was stitched up, actually came back in the game. Uh, so... Interesting stats here. Um, Brassois, I believe, finished with a, a save percentage of zero. No, um, I, I actually, he made one save. His save percentage was 500. I looked it up. Oh, sorry, 500. Very close to being zero. <laughs> um, and what was his goals against average? Do you have that right there? Uh, no, but it was terrible. Yeah, so his goals against average absolutely through the roof. Uh, similar to, if you ever watch baseball, a pitcher's uh, ERA when he pitches about a third of an inning and allows multiple runs uh, just skyrockets due to the nature of the stat. Uh, but the thing I want to focus on is Brassois gets saddled with the loss in that game when it's all said and done. And the reason why is because at that point, um, the Winnipeg Jets had one goal, and, and Tampa Bay scored their third goal right there. So then that was 3-1. So if the Winnipeg Jets score one more goal, then they have two goals, right? So Brassois would have been the goalie to let in the third goal, essentially the winning goal. Brassois then gets saddled with the loss. Am I explaining that correctly? Yeah, no, I am following along right there with you. So essentially, that's exactly what happens. In the third period, well after Hellebuck comes back in the net, Hellebuck lets in a couple more goals. The Winnipeg Jets score one essentially in garbage time on the power play off a lucky bounce. Um, and that then gives Brassois the loss instead of Hellebuck. In just a bizarre sort of circumstance, um, it essentially was sitting as Hellebuck's loss until Truba scored, but Brassois hadn't played in the last half an hour, but he gets settled with the loss. Just an absolutely bizarre way uh, the NHL does this. In, in my opinion, it doesn't make sense at all. It's not just the Brassois NHL, just, but it's just the way hockey does it. Right, exactly. Just totally bizarre. Uh, so that's my stat, essentially, um, is Brassois getting saddled with the loss, yet Hellebuck allowed, uh, I believe, the other four goals, obviously, um, and somehow doesn't get the loss. So just a weird quirk in the NHL right there. Here's my stat that I wanted to uh, add. Uh, the Winnipeg, and this is straight from Twitter, Mass underscore insight. Uh, thanks for the tweet. It wasn't at us. It just came up on my feed. Uh, but he said the NHL Jets have 14 first-round draft picks on their roster. Eight forwards, 6D. 2004, Blake Wheeler. 06, Brian Little. And then they have a player every year from 08 to 2016. 08 was Myers. 9, Kulikov. 10 was Hayes. 11, Shifley, Beaulieu, and Morrow. 12 was Truba, 13 Morrissey, 14 Ehlers, 15 Connor and Roslovic, and then 16 Line. So that's a pretty good track record of being able to convert your first-round picks to players. Since the Jets have come back, all of their first-round picks from 2011 to 2016, save for uh, Logan Stanley, have made it to the NHL and are contributing on their roster. The only other one that was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets franchise was Brian Little. The rest were acquired via trade. Yeah, and the interesting thing is since they've been back in Winnipeg, like you said, every single one of those years, those guys are in the lineup. And that's huge for the Winnipeg Jets. A lot of those names uh, coming via trades, uh, signings, that sort of thing, Hayes, uh, Morrow, um, Wheeler, some of those other guys, Beaulieu. Um, but the actual homegrown talent of the Winnipeg Jets is phenomenal. Um, it looks like Veselainen, I believe he would have been the year after. Um, yeah, he'd be 2017. Prob- 
Yeah, so he's probably going to be in the lineup as early as next season. Um, he's got a very strong trajectory as well. Definitely looks like he could be in a Jets sweater um, next year too. So it's just really interesting that every single year they've, they've been hitting consistently, um, maybe except for Logan Stanley, kind of that um, reach of a pick. Uh, near the late first round uh, a couple of years ago. One thing I do want to mention before we get to the end of the segment with the GM meetings going on in Boca Raton, uh, just a couple of changes that they're looking at. I'm a big believer in the three-point system, and I know TSN talks a lot about it, where wins are worth three points, overtime wins worth two, uh, and we don't really have time to get into that, but I do want to get into the one change that they're looking at making, uh, clocks in the boards in the corners. Your thoughts on this? Have you heard about Have you heard about this? Not Not really. Basically, what they're thinking about doing for next season is that uh, in the corners of the boards so that players can see it, they'll have a clock. I think this is great because at the end of the game, it then gives players, or at the end of a period, they then can see how much time they have left in order to get a shot off. Because how often has it been where it's a scramble play, you don't necessarily know how much time you have because you're not going to look over your shoulder and look up to see if you've got two seconds or three seconds. And so then players can either rush a shot or maybe can lay off a little bit and look for that perfect shot because they can see it right there in the corner. And, and yeah, I, I like it. I don't mind that. I like it too. I, I think why not? Um, There's really no <laughs> if drawback. You have the technology. Why don't you do that? In my opinion, you might as well. Um, I, exactly like you mentioned. That's the reason why. So you totally could have that. Um, will it help some teams? Possibly. Is it an issue? Not necessarily, but it's just a little added addition that would be helpful. And yeah. I think uh, those are the types of things, if they're not causing a, disur- a disturbance, why don't just add them? And, and I think hopefully that's what the Jet or what uh, the NHL does as of next season. And one other thing, uh, there is a little bit of discussion about uh, helmets in warm-up. And helmets, when your helmet gets knocked off, do you, should you have to go straight back to the bench? I know in the AHL... Uh, and I know from personal experience in junior hockey, if you lose your helmet and an international play, you have to go immediately to the bench. If you play the puck without your helmet, it's a penalty. What do you think about this in the NHL? Should this rule be in place? I think yes, it should be. Um, (laughs) Here's my reason why. Do I personally care? Not really. If a guy wants to play... Without a helmet, it happens to pop off. I mean, that is his decision. But in the trend of player safety, I think there's absolutely no reason if you lose your helmet that you should stay on the ice because who knows what's going to happen to you. I think you might as well just be able to... You might, you might as well have to just go to the bench, make it like the other leagues, simple as that. And just make the change. My problem with it, and I've seen it a lot, like it doesn't happen that often that a player loses his helmet. It's actually pretty rare, and especially with players getting much better about tightening up their helmets, visors, just the way guys wear their helmets in general is improving. I just think that when a player is in the corner, all of a sudden a little bit of a scrum, a little bit of a headlock, their helmet pops off, then you have to go all the way back to the bench. It can either leave your team shorthanded, for a brief second, or it can also uh, cause you to miss out on a great scoring opportunity in tight. If you're in the corner, you're in a scrum, your helmet comes off, and then you have to go back to the bench, opposed to maybe just popping out into the slot for a potential goal, I think it should be up to the discretion of the players. These guys are adults. If your helmet gets knocked off in the corner, you should be able to come back out into the slot and fire home a one-timer. 
if it pops off in the defensive zone, yeah, maybe a little bit more dangerous. But again, just be careful. Put that risk assessment in your mind. Don't go blocking a shot if you don't have a helmet. But obviously be sensible as well. That's just my thoughts. I'd say leave it the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind that. <laughs> like, I don't. I honestly don't really care what they do. If they leave it, it's fine. If they don't, I mean, if you want to protect the players, obviously you make that a rule, right? Because that is going to offer better protection. Um, like you said, would it potentially ruin a scoring chance? Maybe. But like you said, it happens so rarely, so why does it matter? If it's going to be a once in a every 20 or 30 games, one of your players is going to lose a helmet for 10 seconds, that's not a big deal. It's probably not going to mess anything up. I mean, you could think about it the other way. Is it going to, are you going to lose out on a scoring chance? Maybe. Is the other team going to gain a scoring chance? Maybe. So, I mean, it's probably going to work out in the long run, right? There's really not going to be any significant drawback if you change the rule, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're probably right. You can see a benefit sometimes, but you can also lose it. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. I just, yeah, and as far as warm-up goes, I don't mind the players with no helmet in warm-up. The chance of a freak injury in warm-up, so rare that, I don't know, whatever. I'm okay with just leaving the rules the way they are. Is there anything else you wanted to add today, Kyle? No, I think we covered pretty much everything. If you have anything you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter at Jets and Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca.